All right, welcome everybody. This is, believe it or not, episode 11. Of, 11. Of Talking Cloud. Yeah, we've made it. I, sh I guess we should have been more excited about episode 10, but I, I didn't realize it was episode 10. <laughs> so I figured this time I'd do it. Episode 10. So as usual, I'm Brett and I'm here with... Travers. Travers. I was trying to point. That didn't work well at all. A <laughs> mirrored thing. Uh, and uh, we're back to tell you all the great stuff that's happened this week in AWS. And I say cloud news, but it's pretty <laughs> much Gen AI news at this point, right? <laughs> It's predominantly that these days. I guess that's yeah. where all the interest is. I yeah. Which, well, how many times did we talk about it today alone? Just no kidding. In, in the group, probably at least twice, maybe three times. Yeah. At least. So, yeah, and uh, the weather has gone in the exact opposite direction from yesterday. It's a balmy eight degrees here today versus what minus eight yesterday? I think somewhere around it's there. It's full spring part two. So yeah. yeah. So here we go. <laughs> all right. So. Enough of that. Let's hop right in and see if all of this works. There we go. So our first thing, and, and I was saying to you before we started the stream today, I got a little more organized. Last week, we were kind of jumping between industry news and AWS news. So I kind of, I decided that I would just kind of lay it all out in, uh, in order here. So we're going to start with all of the, at least the stuff that I thought was interesting on the mm. AWS updates. And most of it is sort of related to things that we see our customers using on a regular basis. So here's the first one. Uh, if you're running an RDS multi-AZ deployment with two readable standbys, you can now get support for GP3 storage volumes. Okay. Um, great. Yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, better than GP2, right? Better performance, lower per hour or lower per gig cost. So that's good. and. To be honest, when I saw this one, it kind of caught me by surprise. I was like, oh, I didn't realize that it didn't support GP3. No kidding. Yeah, you would think that RDS as a managed service would incorporate the uh, latest in the drive tech, but uh, well, I guess maybe it takes some some doing to uh, add a new drive type. Yeah, I, um, I think, you know, one of the things that's... I, I've often said, I've been working on AWS for a long time now, and I... Like, I love the fact that there are, it's always evolving, always changing, new stuff, but I, I've often described it as a, a double-edged sword, right? It's it's great mm -hmm. that we have all these new bells and whistles and toys that you can go and check out, but it's also really challenging with so many changes. So this actually caught me off guard while I was teaching a class. And I, oh. I'm, I'm perfectly okay to admit that, that even from a, a teacher's perspective, instructor's perspective, it's really hard to stay up to date on all this stuff. So I was actually doing a demo. Right of RDS and you've always had single AZ deployments and multi AZ deployments, right? right? And I'm going through the demo and I'm like, what's this? And I can't remember <laughs> what engine it was now, but they have the concept of, uh, I wanna say in the console, it was called a DB cluster where you could have a primary node with yeah. multiple standby nodes now. So when I was reading this, I, I kind of, I kind of made the assumption here that the GP3 storage volume support was for that particular implementation where you're doing the the DB cluster deployment of RDS that prior to now it it only supported GP2. Okay. That's kind of what okay. I thought, but I'm not completely convinced. As always with these things, I always have plans to test some of this stuff out before the stream and then I'm like, how is it Friday already? 
Right? It's like March 1st. I'm like, uh, I don't know where time is going. But I think that's what this is. It's totally flown by. Yeah, no, this yeah. reads to me like they're added it for this particular solution in RDS. You can yeah. now use GP3, yeah. which uh, gives you storage performance independent of uh, capacity. Yeah. So you can yeah. fine tune for your IOPS. Yeah, you can fine tune that. But you still get that baseline performance, right? Of what is it here? 3,000 IOPS. And then you can base scale that up to 64 on what you need, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah 64,000 IOPS. So I, I think this is great. Like, you know, we often see a lot of EC2 instances running older, older instance mm -hmm. types, right? But also yeah. older storage types as well. Let's call them types, type storage class or whatever you want to call it. Right. Like, uh, you know, I've actually run into, believe it or not, a couple magnetic drives not too oh, wow. long ago. Yeah. Including a magnetic <laughs> drive on an RDS database. We were doing a, a review of an account for a customer and I was, I was running all the scripts and stuff. And, you know, it's funny how you get into autopilot with some of the stuff. So I'm going through all the output and I run a little, I basically create a filter to just highlight the different, um, storage types and yep. i just have them color coded so i can kind of just get through it all and, and figure find the stuff that stands out and i i think i have the magnetic storage types in my in my csv files i import them i, I think they show up as yellow so i was just scrolling through the list i'm like what's yellow and i went and i looked i'm like oh old magnetic drive so they still do exist but uh you know using the latest and greatest whether it's instance types or storage volumes are always going to give you better performance for lower cost right so this for is a the good dollar one. yeah yeah check your rds instances yes which, uh, which gp2 types or which storage <laughs> types are you using especially yeah. if they've been kicking around for a while right yeah you, you yeah. probably without even realizing it you're you've probably got some opportunity there to uh improve the performance and lower the cost not necessarily a trivial exercise depending on what you're doing but no. it, it should be something that's on your list right yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, this reminds me, just because we're talking RDS, there were those couple changes. Um, there are, what was it now? End of life support for MySQL, which I guess we're well past now because we're into March. Yeah. So if you've got MySQL 5.7 running in RDS, you're now on extended support, which is going to increase your costs. So you should check that. And then there is the still upcoming RDS cert changes, right? Yes. Uh, Which I think you're, I think I saw you making changes in a customer's account. Was it today or yesterday? They were verifying today. that everything was okay. Today. Yep. Just yeah. this morning we did a change for that. So yeah. check your cert authorities because those are expiring as well. Yeah. I would suspect that type of work is going to happen all year as people stumble across this would, and have those, oh shit moments. Yeah. I better change that, right? <laughs> I would think so. I think there's going to be some fun surprises for, for yeah. uh, a lot yeah. of people. So. Okay. so here's a question. I, I probably should know the answer to this. What happens, like that cert doesn't expire till the end of the year, right? What happens right. if you don't change your database cert, RDS database cert by let's say November or whatever that ex expiry date is, what would happen? It depends yeah. on whether you're using it for authentication, right? Mm. Um, if you're actually using the RDS cert for authentication, then it can cause some problems. Because uh, your clients, your at that point, the cert's no longer valid and the clients won't connect properly, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 So there you go. A few things to think about, a few new features that you might not have known about, and a few uh, ongoing operational tasks that you probably should just double check in your environment if you haven't already looked and you're running RDS. 
Doesn't uh, hurt to take a look. Doesn't hurt to take a look. Next up. Sorry, I don't know why my little streaming program here just rearranged all my windows. There we go. Let's try this again. I'm going to zoom into this. I'm just realizing it's a little on the small side. Try to get that a little better. There we go. So no SQL Workbench. Um, you and I were talking about, you know, I always find this funny when, when we're collecting these articles and stuff, how many times yep. does an article come up that isn't directly related, but it's, it tends to be something that we talked about. You and I were just talking about using no SQL workbench and what was the tool you were testing out to help you with this? I, I was looking at something called DinoBase. DinoBase. That's it. Yeah. And, uh, similar, same kind of idea as the no SQL workbench, right? A tool to give you a GUI to work with DynamoDB as resources. Yeah, I never tested out uh, DinoBase. I think I downloaded it and then I got distracted by something else and never made it back to it. But I, I mm. really do like the NoSQL Workbench. It's kind of my go-to tool for when I'm dealing with DynamoDB and things like that. And just a, another new feature here. So you can now clone tables within your mm. Workbench and keep all, I think the, the interesting part here is copying key attributes and options to global secondary indexes, capacity settings. So it's basically replicating that table for you. Yeah. Um, so you can develop and test your code with DynamoDB tables. That's kind of neat. Right? That's excellent. That's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Well, that you can, it gives you a development table essentially to mess around with or back up a table and that kind of stuff. That's a good thing to have in your toolkit. Yeah. And the other thing here is I'm just going to highlight this DynamoDB local. I always mm. kind of shoulder shrugged this. I'm like, who cares? Like oh, yeah. I, I've got a DynamoDB table running in AWS already. I'll just connect to that and blah, blah, blah. And I was working on a URL shortener for our little training roadmap stuff. So we can kind of, we can kind of see what's happening, who's clicking what and stuff like that. And I got to tell you, I don't even know what made me decide to do it, but I was like, I'm just going to turn on DynamoDB local for this. It's no different. It's DynamoDB, right? But there was just something about it that made the development process, I think, a little uh, more streamlined than normal. I, I, I don't know how to articulate it, but it just was uh, a really handy little tool to have as part of the workbench. And in theory, I guess if I didn't have Wi-Fi connection or something, I could still plug away on my DynamoDB table and, you know, do my testing and stuff. So that was kind of neat. For sure. And I mean, if it's running locally, you reduce any latency. Not that there's a ton of latency hitting Dynamo, right? But it's also really good if you're developing an app with the SAM, like the serverless uh, deployment tool at oh, yeah. AWS. Yeah, of course, SAM's because SAM's got all those local testing options too, right? So you can point it yeah. at your DynamoDB local instance. That's like one of the best use cases for it I've found, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a great tool. Yeah. So if, if you're looking for a, a GUI tool that you could use to help you build your NoSQL uh, uh, solutions, you, including Dynamo, it also doesn't DynamoDB or doesn't work. Wow. Let me try this again. I'm thinking about all the other services. <laughs> doesn't NoSQL Workbench also support... Doesn't it support some, is it Keybase or something? It supports something more than just Dynamo, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, I'm not sure, honestly. Yeah, um, okay. I have to check. In my brain, when you fire it up, when you first start the application up, you get a couple options. And, and I, I thought it was Keybase. Is it like or Mongo something. or something or DocumentDB even? Yeah, I can't remember. But if you're looking for a tool, I, I think for me, you know, we often say to people the 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 most, at least 
at least for me, the most important part about working with DynamoDB is ensuring that you've got good key structure from the very beginning, that you're as best as you can, you know, covering, evenly distributing the read and write work across yep. that key key structure. So being able to use something like Workbench or a different tool to help you visualize that and, and run through your use cases and stuff, uh, I use it all the time. Yeah, that's so important for working with Dynamo tables, right? Especially when you get to scale, um, you don't want any hot records in your DB. So yeah, yeah, knowing perfect. that structure, it's kind of essential. Well, and, and this is, again, like we were talking about, if, if you were running even DynamoDB local, now you could run through your use cases uh, without any latency, without any additional yeah. cost. Not that DynamoDB is an expensive service, but you could do that all locally on your development workstation, test everything out, fine tune stuff, and then decide how you want to get that into your AWS account, whether you do that through Workbench or some other way, right? So pretty, pretty yeah, for sure. good tool there. And it's free. And it's free. <laughs> Free's good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, you pay for the tables, right? But Pay for the tables, but the tool is free, right? The tool is yeah. free. Yeah. So this one caused uh, quite a stir last week on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Uh, mm. You know, just a few people were talking about this. So CloudFront announces availability of embedded points of presence. So okay. new type of infrastructure that is deployed even closer to your uh, end users or end viewers within ISPs and mobile network operators. So you're getting even closer to the, the ultimate destination, right? The, the origin of that call. Okay, this must come from those edge racks that they were talking about a couple of years ago, uh, yeah. where you could deploy a mini AWS cloud at the edge, I'm wondering. Maybe, so now yeah. you have the edge and you have the bleeding edge in the ISP, I guess. Yeah, you're getting you're getting one step <laughs> closer. I you know, again, I always find trying to keep all of this stuff straight. I always have to go back mm. and, and look at the documentation. So like I know CloudFront Okay, so we can use these embedded points of presence now. The I still think the closest you can get to a customer would still be a local zone, would it not? Would a lo so is a local zone closer to a customer than an embedded point of presence in CloudFront? I don't know. That's a great question. Uh, I'm not sure. If it yeah. is at the ISP level, like it's in their data center, theoretically, yeah. I mean, that could be a lot closer, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But in AWS, the closest you're going to get is like is the local zone. Yeah. Or I, I actually, is it? I guess if you if you ran a, um, oh, what's it called now? Where you you put a stack in your own data center. Uh, oh yeah, the edge uh, edge location or. Yeah, or, there's uh, a name for the. It's a physical piece of hardware. You either have a one U server, two U server, I think it is, or a forty two U rack. I should know the name of it, but. It's escaping me. I guess that's in theory the absolute an closest. You can, an outpost. Thank you. That's what it is. Yeah. So you could put an outpost server or an outpost rack would be, I guess, the closest that's what you I think, get. Yeah, that's what I think this must be is is um, an outpost that you have in other data centers. Like, that's what this like AWS has installed an outpost in an ISP somewhere. Maybe. Like Verizon or, or something yeah. like that, yeah. yeah. My goal was always to get a, a 1U outpost server in my basement uh, just because, but if I recall, just to say you have it. yeah, just to say I have it for some sort of weird flex, which is really kind of stupid. Uh, I guess it's kind of like the same sort of flex as I've got all the certs. Um, 
and and I was really disappointed because I think I read even if you have, uh, if you go down the the server path, you still need yeah. enterprise support. So gotcha. I might have been able to squeak the cost of the the server <laughs> through, but I don't think I'm going to be able to handle 15k <laughs> a, a month just to have a one u server in my basement. But anyways, yeah. So that dashed my dreams of of having an outpost in my basement. <laughs> Oh man! But you For can what? Have I I have no idea, but just <laughs> just to say. And you also had to make a twelve month commitment. So I was kind of you know I was like, oh, I could put it in my basement for a couple months and then just send it back. Nope. No. So uh, yeah. Anyway, so we've got here. Uh, you can see it's got uh, six hundred plus embedded points of presence deployed across two hundred cities. So uh, yeah. lots of infrastructure here that you can use. So there we go. Uh, obviously, there's way more interesting and and uh well interesting news updates from aws but these are the three that sort, mm. of, sort of stuck out at me over the week okay so yeah. let's change gears let's let's go from aws news to gen ai because it's all pretty right. much all gen ai we need some sort of it's weird <laughs> transition right there like some fancy music there right some sort of segment transition yeah yeah yeah, yeah fancy animation or something uh, i shared this in the news editor last week and I, I decided to put it into, I don't, did we talk about this in the podcast? I don't think we did. I don't think we did, yeah. no. I think I jammed this in on the Monday morning um, uh, newsletter, which uh, I will share a link for before we're done, if I can do it quickly enough. Just shamelessly plug, you should sign up for our, our weekly newsletter. I loved this article. Um, it, it's, it's corporate Ozempic. Um, so uh, it just, I think it's sort of, I think the thing that stuck out to me about this was Scott Galloway, Prof G is sort of just saying something that I think a lot of people think, but don't say. And, and, and right. he even says in here, like how CEOs right now are not really talking about the fact that this is what AI is all about. But eventually, one of them will come out, and at that point, the floodgates open, and and every every CEO of a large company will say, "Yes, we are using uh, Gen AI in ways to uh, essentially get more productivity out of a smaller workforce." That's a that's right. essentially what this article is all about. What do you think? And we're we're gonna see it in the in some of the other articles as well. But yeah, yeah. basically, the the thesis is that the efficiency gains you get from using gen ai technology um lets you spend less on employment right or uh, workforce yeah so i think it's it's to me it reads like it could definitely it's definitely a factor that like it could be related to some of the layoffs we're seeing in tech recently. and that's sort of the point and that he, he makes in here too is he's like okay so the layoffs last year were because a lot of these large technology companies just simply overhired during the pandemic, yeah. right? And yeah. they, they were then scaling back their workforces after that period of, of crazy hiring. And, and his thesis here is that the layoffs that we're seeing now are due to Gen AI, or yeah, due to Gen AI, the fact that they've streamlined their workforce, gotten rid of those excessive hires, mm -hmm. and now they're realizing the gains of using a Gen AI tool and being able to, to remove employees and get better productivity so yeah and obviously like everything else it's a mix of of factors right but i could definitely see that being um a reasonable 
thing to to say is causing uh, these layoffs right or having an impact. I, I would um, definitely think it's probably influencing yeah. some of the decision making that's happening, right? It, it's probably having a pretty large effect. I would think so. I would think so. And then if you remember last week, we also, we talked about a particular company that, that I, I won't mention again. Um, but when, when they were seeing such huge productivity gains from something like Code Whisperer, if you yeah. flip that conversation around in and take it from the lens of this article, you could then see how potentially or possibly you could take those great gains from something like a, a, a programming, uh, like a, a, an assistant like that, and then say, well, do we need all of these people if we've got this great tool that provides fantastic suggestions and our, our teams are using those suggestions half of the time anyways, maybe we could shrink up the size of that team. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, interesting, interesting, and that is a perfect segue into this. Did now th I pointed this one out to you in particular? Did you have a chance to get through this article? The Klarna one? one, yes. Yeah. This was this was very interesting and kind of in the same vein as that last article, Corporate Ozempic, and kind of like the realization of what everyone was predicting was going to happen yeah. when OpenAI first launched ChatGPT, right? Yeah. Um, but it's it's this company Klarna. They have a customer service chat assistant. Essentially, is the business model, and you can train it on your company's data and give it tasks to handle customer customer service requests. It has, it's really incredible. It's done the equivalent work of seven hundred full time agents, uh, two point three million conversations, two thirds of all of their customer service chat. It's insane. Um, Customer service is gonna is just it's getting disrupted. I guess is the best way to put it. But uh, yeah, I would use a stronger word. It's gonna get destroyed, demolished, <laughs> demolished, destroyed. There's lots of words that begin with a D that we could use here. But yeah, to your point, like, like wow, insane. And and I've got the I've got the article up. I I think the the thing that really struck me about this article, and again, it's something that sort of relates back to the corporate exempic thing that we just talked about with Prof G, is the fact that we have stats here that exactly yeah. like exactly what they say in the first sentence, the numbers speak for themselves. Equivalents, like you said, 700 full-time agents drop in repeat uh, inquiries. It's available 24 hours a day, 23 markets, 35 languages. And they even spell That's... out an estimated <laughs> improvement in profit of $40 million for the year. Insanity. The languages thing really gets me because that, that's probably that's got to be one of the biggest issues with customer support is having localized support teams across that work in all these various languages you need to support that just well that's no longer a problem yeah um you have yeah. this robot that can talk in whatever language you can program 35 in, languages right? yeah and and that's only going to improve over time right they're going to add to that as, as it gets better yeah. yeah as language models get trained on additional more languages right up to you know yeah. up to a point and yeah you know it's funny yeah. like to draw some more analogies when when cloud first started aws had this this lead where everybody thought although nobody's going to do that that's crazy why wouldn't i just keep my virtual machines and my physical machines in my own data center so they had this nice right. lead of multiple years where everybody just thought they were batshit crazy and then suddenly everybody realized oh crap uh, looking at this article powered by open ai I know we're not talking because everybody's scrambling this point to play catch up with. And, and again, my opinion, you tell me if I'm wrong here, but it seems to me 
that OpenAI is clearly the leader in this space because everything I read is powered by OpenAI, powered by OpenAI. So it's amazing to see how it's sort of flipped on its head where AWS was the leader in, in sort of cloud computing in general and now OpenAI's come out of nowhere and everybody else is playing catch up. Now they don't have a multi-year uh, sort of... Uh, lead where they're able to go off and do their own thing and nobody notices, but it's, I think everybody's playing catch up to them. I, I don't know what you think. Yeah. It's what it looks like, right? Maybe the closest it would be Google, uh, yeah. with their, their Gemma models that they just released, yeah. but yeah, it's, um, it's mind blowing. This is, it looks like from the numbers in industry, just getting decimated basically. Right. Yeah. Like, but obviously, you're still going to need to escalate calls to a human at some point. But Well, it goes back to what we talked about, I think, last week, right? Where a person was talking to the chatbot, the chatbot gave him advice, and it was advice with a financial impact that ended up not yeah. being true, and the company ran into some trouble. So, yeah, there's probably still that handoff, but there's you, you don't need 700 agents to do that because the likelihood of... Right. of 90% I'm making a number up but like the vast majority of those requests probably are the same thing every time and the bot would yeah. get really good at just answering those and letting getting that person on their way right and and happy with the response there's definitely a subset of customer service tasks that are easy to automate I would imagine right yeah, like yeah, account was... checking and, and information changing yeah it, it's kind of interesting this is like it done correctly versus the other example that we saw where the chatbot was didn't basically had no didn't seem to have any oversight for the financial information but you can you can build that in right you can build in the ability to check and reference that data yeah so i would you... i would i would say there's probably going to be some hard lessons learned over the next yeah. six to eight months and and the chatbot that we were talking about last week i think is a good example of a hard lesson that you know let's be yeah. honest not just that company is going to go through this year they're just there's so Absolutely. much learning to be done here uh and with all of the um i don't want to call it unknowns but it's just with everything moving so fast mistakes are going to be made and you know things like what we talked about last week are, are going to happen you're going to have some some situations where customers aren't happy and you're going to realize that your your uh your ai assistant i keep calling it a chat bot but i guess it's more than a chat bot at assistant. this point yeah, it's an ai assistant your ai assistant was just wrong it just it made a mistake right which I guess in fairness, yeah. people do all the time as well. I, I well, you yeah. could probably find a, an example of, of a human AI, a human AI, a human uh, person <laughs> telling you something that is not necessarily a, a, like hundred percent true. And you know, it's not done on purpose. It's just people make mistakes and obviously so do these, right? I yeah. love this, this I article, know. like I had to read it a couple times cause I, I'm like, holy hell. Like, it's kind of unbelievable, right? Yeah. Like if you just just looking at it the first read through, it's it's such a huge impact that this service has on yeah. a business's customer service load. Yeah, it's just staggering. Yeah, um, I'm unbelievable. Again, it's a brand new field. I'm super interested to see how the security portion of this progresses over the next two years, because I'm one. The biggest concern for me for these things is that if you're talking to it in in plain text, they're that's super vulnerable, right? Yeah. You can always have some nefarious actor come in with uh, a jailbroken prompt and, and try and attack your system. So yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll I guess happens. that goes back to the, the lessons learned too, right? Uh, they're going to yeah. have to figure this stuff out pretty quickly. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to skip over the Eureka, Eureka one. We're going to come back to it in a okay. second. But here is kind of another article about where there's some lessons <laughs> still to be learned. And you know what? The, the thing that... This goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. How many times have we had a conversation and then it's like you, the universe listens to you and throws something back at you? We were having sort of an off-the-cuff, just totally theoretical uh, conversation in, in the Slack channel. And uh, somebody just made the comment about, oh, yeah, you know, you could just you could just use ChatGPT for law. And then the <laughs> next day this popped in. PC lawyer <laughs> reprimanded for citing fake cases. And this is not the first time this has happened. I, I remember this article a yeah. couple times now, right? Like, or an article like this. So essentially, last, yeah, essentially they went into court with um, things that weren't true. Um, yeah. And they've 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 established since this happened that the lawyer, you know, wasn't wasn't doing it on purpose. Just sort of didn't realize that in in some cases uh, the uh, the AI may not actually be telling you the truth. And it's kind of like you and I have talked about a couple times over the last probably ten episodes as we we talk more and more about Gen AI is trust, yep. but verify, trust, but verify, yes. right? Always verify. So I'll include especially. this. Yeah. Especially when you're dealing with stuff like this, I'll include this because I, I think it is again, as much as the hype is fantastic about this and it's always fun to look at the new shiny things and, and try this stuff out. We've been trying it out ourselves, which I, I, I'm going to give another shameless plug here in a minute, but like you, you gotta just, you got to trust, but verify, you got to, you got to figure out and make sure this stuff is, is right. And, and here's a, another instance of where somebody just took it for face value and it didn't work out very well. Cause they lost the case, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. They can. lost the case. And I would assume that's probably not the end of it. Uh, I would suspect that they will take this kind of thing very seriously. Obviously, you know, they, they don't want to, well, they want to discourage this from happening again. So I, I think, unfortunately, for the person that was involved in here, it's it's probably not the end of it for them. But I don't know. I would suspect that yeah. there would be some other fallout from this. But read these things because it's it's important to make sure you understand what's possible. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one you shared with me. Yes. I found this one extremely interesting. So walk us through it. I, I love, be sorry, before you do that, I love the little byline in front of this or whatever, the, <laughs> here come the robots, right? So why yeah. don't you walk us through it? Give us the, the Cole's notes. Okay, so the article is about training robots in, a, in simulated environments and using GPT-4 to fine tune the mechanisms with which the robots are trained, essentially. So the idea is uh, when you do reinforcement learning, when you train a machine or an agent to do a task, you have to write what's called a reward function, which basically tells the agent how good it's doing at its job, essentially. Mm -hmm. These are not easy to write for humans for complex systems. Um, it gets really tricky really fast to optimize these agents. But what these guys are doing is they're using, they're leveraging NVIDIA's simulated environments and they're passing the reward function feedback into ChatGPT and they've conditioned it to spit out new reward functions to try and it has actually resulted in some really staggering advances in robotics it seems like wow there's these videos yeah this video this here right 
Can you are you see? on the hand one? Yeah, I'm on the hand one. So you have to think about this. How do you tell an agent what's a good way to spin a pen like this, right? Like it has X outputs, right? It has motors in each of the joints, basically, or a tensioner that can control to actually control where the pen's going. Mm -hmm. But how do you know what's a good, what's going to result in a good spin? It could just get locked up. But you can get ChatGPT to write those functions for you and iterate on that. And then you get, and then simulate it over a thousand different hands sitting in cyberspace, right? And uh, get a get a get a hand, a robotic hand that can do this in real life if you built it, because wow. the environment is so tailored or so realistic, right? It models physics, yeah, perfectly or yeah. close to perfectly. Uh, you get agents that can do real world tasks. There's this one robot uh, that has like four wheels, and it can rear up and pop open a door. It can pick up a box and throw it in another box, like. And that's all the result of this kind of reinforcement training in simulated environments. So this is, I think, one of the biggest deals that these that this kind of tech is going to bring us in the next, like, 20 years. So, okay. Um, is this not, then, robots training robots? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't, isn't this the thing that we're supposed to be worried about? <laughs> the robots are now training themselves? and. <laughs> It's just uh, just like limited, near. <laughs> limited, parameterized, you know. In a yeah, neat, keep in telling a yourself that. Keep telling yourself application. that. Application. <laughs> it'll be fine. I'm sure. It'll be. What's the worst that could happen? So yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna play this. Wow. Yeah. And this is all self-taught by ChatGPT, not ChatGPT, but uh, GPT four basically building those those reward mechanisms back to tell it hey this you know how to improve like i the, the explain the reward mechanism a little more for me if you if you can okay so here's an example um there one one good example i saw was someone trying to train an agent to play pokemon are you, mm -hmm. you familiar yep. with the video game okay yep. so it's a you want you wanted to so we wanted to train it to get the agent as far into the game as possible. But how do you tell it what's a good way to do that? Um, there's some screens usually. If you one way to do it is to try and get it to find new screens of the game yeah. that don't look the same yep. that have a lot of variation. That way you're progressing. But there's some issues that can pop up in that some screens have animated objects and those are constantly changing. So that's a scene that's constantly changing. So it stops. It never moves. That kind of thing doesn't know what to do with that right because the reward function is satisfied because it's constantly seeing novel screens okay. um so that's the kind of thing you can run into with this is your the expected outcome of your reward functions could leave you in a bad state basically okay or undesired state of what you actually want to get you might get stuck in like a local maximum and so not then, be able to progress okay so then what's happening here is that gpt4 is looking at the outcomes and reworking those those rewards then to to keep it moving forward to to better train the robot is that a, essentially what's happening essentially yeah so they've given it the context needed to write what what was what does a reward function look like for this kind of situation and given it some additional context for maybe how you can improve it that kind of thing okay. and then yeah it receives the the output of the the simulation okay. and will write a new reward function for it. 
Very what cool. This. Very yeah. cool stuff. And and uh, I also can I do this now? I'm under pressure. Can I do it? There we go. <laughs> I taught myself this with uh, I don't know what my reward function was, but it was uh, sitting at <laughs> three o'clock in the morning in the back of a grocery shipping warehouse and didn't really have much else to do. And there we go. I can't nice. do it the opposite direction, and my brain never could figure that out. But anyways, there we go. <laughs> All right, that's this is really great stuff. It, I guess, if, if you put your your doom cap on, it's really great stuff, but also slightly scary. But I guess you could say the same thing about the uh, the uh, AI assistant that's replacing uh, call center jobs as well. I, I think it's this is like a radical shift in what how people yeah. are going to well make a living and and. Yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see how this all works out. Because wouldn't this be replacing human jobs as well? Like before, this type of yep. training would happen in a physical environment and people would look at what's happening and then go back and try to restructure it and, and watch that physical machine do it again. Now it's all virtual and AI is restructuring those reward systems as they go. We're going to see humanoid or not. It doesn't just have to be humanoid, but worker robots in the next five years that are as good or better than a person we're recording this so we're gonna we're gonna see how close <laughs> we're gonna you are. see yeah we're gonna see how close you are i don't i don't i don't doubt it at all i i'm i'm thinking this thing is just gonna exponentially it's gonna accelerate exponentially i guess maybe is it even five years like I don't, I don't know, but I'm, I'm being, I might be being conservative. With yeah, that, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, I, you know, I used to, when, when we, we first started looking at this stuff, I just, you know, I used the phrase earlier in the show, like kind of just shoulder shrugged it. I was like, Oh, whatever. This is, this is just another thing. Right. Um, yeah. and, and as we've talked about it more and more, I have, I have really changed my perspective on this, that this thing is, I call it a thing, but AI in general, gen AI is just, it's going to, radically change the entire world it's it's going to be incredible to see what it does it really right. feels different this time and yeah. it's like you said this kind of feedback loop situation with the machine training the machine is uh yeah that has the potential to just yeah just go parabolic right or yeah. uh, exponential rather yeah right because it's it's way smarter than us and it, it's going to learn and you would think that it would get smarter in every iteration and before you know it it's building robots that will exterminate us. <laughs> now, I don't know about smart. Like smarter is one thing, right? But it's yeah. like you can run. <laughs> but it's even you know what? It's it's not necessarily scalable. smarter, but it, it, yeah, it's scalable. This thing could run twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Doesn't have to take a break. You know, it just keeps going. And I think that's really, you know, if you if you put your corporate hat on again and and think about it from that perspective, that to me has got to be something that when you're thinking about bottom line and stuff like that, having something that can work nonstop forever, essentially, and, and constantly making small improvements over time never stops, the, that's, that's really enticing to figure out how you could use that to improve your, your own business, whatever it might be, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, nuts. Um, this reminds me, I want to see here. Give me a second. So I've got a bunch of other articles that didn't hmm. make it in to this. Just bear with me a sec. Because you said oh, right. uh, humanoid robots, and it made me think of something. <laughs> and I won't pull it up right now because I want to save it for 
I want to save it for the newsletter. Again, you, you can only get this on the newsletter. You really can't. You could just Google it and find it. <laughs> but um, it is a uh, Reuters article about a bunch of technology folks getting together and funding humanoid robots. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's coming. And, and again, shameless plug here. Give me a second. Because I've talked about it and I said I will share it. If, if you want to, how do I do this? Here's the question, right? Mm. Yeah, can the you? big question is, can I actually do what I would want to do here? This is where we need some some elevator music again, right? As I'm trying to figure out how this works. <laughs> You're trying to throw it in like- Yeah, a, I'm trying a to throw it in chat. On it. Oh, interview, interview I chat. see. There's, there's way too many options here. I need, a, I need a, an AI assistant to help us with this. Okay, let's see if this works. <laughs> I, I don't know if that is actually in chat or not. It isn't. Well, you know what? I'm going to give it one more shot. This, this program is fantastic. It has so many options that I'm like, yeah, it's probably, probably one of these. Yeah. We'll throw it in. We'll throw it into, um, here. Can I do it? Ah, I'll do it later. I, I can't be bothered. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've lost interest already. And uh, the last article for today is uh, automating tasks using Amazon Bedrock agents and AI. And mm. we've talked about this sort of AI agents before. And this kind of caught my attention. And I thought we could uh, talk about it here. I'm going to rely again sure. on, on your expertise on this, but this idea of using agents, I, I think this, this first sentence sums this up perfectly, right? Yeah. Using Amazon bedrock agents to empower or empower you to construct and customize autonomous agents within your company that can perform tasks on your behalf. And we were talking about this not too long ago. I think I watched, um, I watched a YouTube video or something where the person was using, it wasn't bedrock. It was a, another tool and they were yeah. like creating agents and they had like uh, a marketing agent. So it was AI that was acting as the marketing person. Uh, AI is acting as like the, um, the uh, search engine optimization expert. And they had built out like a series of agents and then said uh, they gave it a task and the agents worked together to output sort of whatever the task was. I think it was something like improve the the copy on this web page or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's essentially what we're talking about here, correct? Pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah, it's essentially what's going on here. This is kind of a walkthrough of how you can go and set up your own agent for accomplishing various tasks. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a, 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 it seems like a good practice. It's kind of the, best practice way to deploy this kind of thing. Yeah. Like we were talking about. Yeah. It gives it a little bit of guard, like some guardrails, some data retrieval options for sensitive data. Like uh you could point it to a a policy database or a uh if you wanted to book uh, an appointment or something, a bookings database, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And then it wouldn't get that data it wouldn't hallucinate that data. Okay. So now here's a question and and uh for the last, I don't know, three, four weeks, uh, I've been tooling mm. around with the uh, Amazon Q, the, the Gen AI okay. assistant there. And uh, it's, it's really interesting. I've, I've got it tied to a bunch of different data sources now. So uh, last week, it, it had been tied to our website for a while. And then uh, last week, I tied it to uh, our Slack workspace. 
and it was able okay. to uh, pull in Slack information. Excuse me. The one thing that I didn't do is uh, uh, Q also has this idea of, uh, I don't want to call it a, a guardrail because what I'm thinking about, I don't think is a guardrail, but it mm -hmm. has... Um, so it has all these crawlers or connectors, and that's how you, you tie right. it to all these data sources, right? And as part of these connectors, it has an identity crawler. So mm. the idea behind the identity crawler is it creates its own user store within Q. My understanding of it is that, like, let's say you authenticate, so it knows Travers versus Henry versus Brett. And sure. then yeah. depending on our access rights in these different tools, Jira, Slack, like think of all the different connectors it can talk to. You can include the identity crawler, which would then create uh, sort of, you, you made me think of it when you had said about sort of putting policy in place so it can't see <laughs> certain documents and things like that, or, or at least you can't see those documents. Um, is that what you kind of meant when you, I didn't catch exactly what you said, but that idea of sort of uh, guardrails and, and sort of protecting information that you didn't necessarily want your agents to be able to see is that is that the same thing just a different way to implement it kind of yeah i mean it's interesting that it lets you automate kind of role assignment essentially is what's going on there right like credential yeah as far as i could tell uh, i haven't tried it yet because i i didn't put the identity crawler into the slack connector when i did it i just i wanted to see what it would do um mm. but yeah it sort of sounds like what you're describing there yeah there's a good diagram further in the article that kind of goes into what they've got set up here let's try oh man i'm really whoa, whoa. i'm i'm on the wrong screen here i'm changing the size of the <laughs> size of the, what's on the screen uh, let me see here but it, yeah but essentially it, it kind of details the way you would set uh, up a go. system like this yeah. like you have uh for example, you have a set of customers who are going to make a query to some sort of API, usually an HTTPS post, uh, that's going to hit a Lambda function, and then that's going to your agent. And your agent has access to a couple of different things via those crawlers usually, right? Yeah. So there's an API schema you can assign. So that kind of tells it if it's looking for a certain piece of information, it might be able to find it here, like call this API to get X info. Uh, for example, like we were saying, uh, bookings info, um, you can call a specific API. So it'll get the actual correct data from okay. like a microservice system. But it can also go into the knowledge base service, which kind of which will crawl data in S3 or use open search to kind of ingest organizational data mm. or things okay. you might want it to just have general knowledge of. Okay. So yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot because that's my thing every mm. week. Is then, is, so we've got Q, right? Which, like I said, yeah. we've been playing around with and uh, I'll, I'll make sure in the newsletter, again, another reason to subscribe to the newsletter, mm. I'll share the links off to the content that we've created there. But Q is sort of what you're describing here. And I might be wrong, but Q seems like it's providing us with a layer of abstraction. I've pulled up the diagram, I think that you were mentioning in the article. And to yep. me, this seems that it's it's farther down in the weeds, like this bedrock agent idea yes. where you're, you've got the ability to do a lot more, fine tune things, you have more granular control over stuff. Whereas Q seems to be a higher level, like more a higher level of abstraction that allows you to 
to do something, but I don't think you have as many layers as you could or levers that you could pull as the way you're describing yeah. it here. That Knowing what right. you know about the two, is is that a fair I don't want to overgeneralize that as a fair way to think about the two of them? I think so, yeah. Q will take away a lot of this setup for you, right? Okay. Um you just have to point it at the the data sources you want it okay. to crawl. You don't have to set up an S3 or anything, right? One like second, that, right? Alexa. Oh, Stop. We have a cameo. Speaking of uh, <laughs> assistance, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you could hear that on your side, but uh, my uh, oh, yeah. the the echo on my desk here is telling me I got to go talk to somebody. Um, yeah. So basically, what you've got here is sort of a, a service that allows you to get in and and I'll use the word tinker. I know it's not right, but but you, you've got a lot more oh, yeah. ability to kind of customize it versus maybe something like Q that at least in its current iteration still gives you a lot of flexibility, but maybe less control over some of the underlying mechanisms, the 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 way it's working. Yeah, exactly. More less knobs to turn in Q. I would say yeah, it seems. Yeah. Uh, that's by no no means meant to dissuade anybody from trying Q. Uh, I've I've thought I I've really enjoyed the process of working through it, and I'll continue to build mm. stuff out. I think we're gonna I'm gonna try to attach it to Jira. You know the funny thing is though, uh, we'll wrap up with this last thought, and and we'll we'll start our weekend here. But it's really weird. So I've got it tied to the website. I've got it tied to yeah. Slack, and I'll tie it to Jira, where we've got all of our work items and stuff. I've, I'm having a hard time, like when it was tied to my, to just to the website and I could say, tell me about service X and it would come back and it would say, Bleh, right? Oh, Orbit Audit is a review of your AWS account for security best practices, blah, blah, blah. And I had my, mm -hmm. I have, I've really struggled with, okay, I've got this other data source. I've got like, um, when I set the, the crawl up, I didn't, it says, when do you want us to crawl from? So like on the Slack crawler, right? So I said, well, I, we, we could go back years, I guess, in theory, because it's a paid subscription. But I'm like, geez, let's just do the beginning of February. So it crawled, I don't know, let's say 2,500-ish docs or messages or whatever you want to call them, right? Right. And I had a really hard time trying to figure out, now that I've got those chat messages in there, I know I'm, I can't, like, it's not to say show me the conversation I had with Travers on February 26th. That's not what it's for. But I had a really hard time to try to figure out like how, what's the benefit of having that additional the Slack, integration. The Slack integration in there? Like how, what's it going to use that information for to articulate answers to the questions that I'm asking? That's a good question. I wonder if you could get it to like spin up a channel or something. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I did get it I did get it to answer one time. And I had to be really careful because we do have information <laughs> in Slack that I didn't really want on the stream, right? So what I was doing is I was going between, you know, my my PyCharm window and I'd run a query or I'd ask it a question and just make sure it was safe and bring it back. And I did have it, I can't remember exactly what I asked it about. I think I asked it about a best practices multi account organization deployment or something like that and it actually mm. pulled information it, it showed me the source and the source was from a channel where we were having a conversation or people were having a conversation about 
uh, what a multi-account control tower implementation of AWS might look like. And it and it gave me, oh. it didn't have context, right? It didn't say Travers said X, Brett said Y, but it gave me a summary of the, hmm. the best practices. So, and when I looked, the source of that was a channel from Slack. So that's something. Yeah, I, I wasn't able to replicate it again. Like I couldn't think of any other ways to frame a question that ever pulled anything else that referred to a conversation in Slack somewhere, like a channel in Slack. But uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna tie Jira to it just so that we can, but I can't wrap my head around what's it doing with that information and how do I get value out of it yeah. once it's in the, what do they call it, the index, right? I don't know. We'll have to yeah, poke no. around a bit. Maybe if it had a bigger time scale, you could go and query yeah. and ask for summaries about certain topics. I mean, yeah, that's interesting. I'm sure they'll come out with some kind of bespoke integration at some point. Yeah. I think, think, you know, some of the value here, we were talking about this earlier on today too, is some of the value might just be helping people like what I just said, helping people understand, well, what the heck do I do with this once it's connected? Like, right. what do I actually ask it? Well, like, how do I... Sh how Prompt engineering. We talked about it a couple of weeks yeah. ago, right? Uh, obviously, my brain just wasn't thinking of the engineering the correct prompts. There we go. Let's go with that. Uh, <laughs> I could not engineer a prompt that would would give me some information back that could verify that indeed we were grabbing information from uh, the Slack in the index or Slack channels in the index. But anyways, mm. so there we go. Uh, that is another week of talking cloud. Anything before we wrap up? All right. No, that's everything for me, I think. All right. So uh, last shameless, I've got like three shameless plugs here this week. We will be back on Tuesday <laughs> evening, 7 p.m., back on the Twitch channel as normal. Um, probably still working on Q. We'll, we'll see kind of where we are at that point, but uh, I think there's still some more work to be done there. We do have at the end of the month, I think it's the last Thursday of March, which would be... Mm -hmm. March 20-something. Let's just go last Thursday of the month. Uh, we are going to do an intro to AWS webinar. Um, so uh, keep your eyes open 28th. for that. We'll, we'll, yeah, the 28th, okay. We'll uh, keep you updated in the newsletter. And then outside of that, I guess we'll call it and uh, enjoy your weekend. All right. All yeah, right. have oh, a good weekend, everyone. One last oh. thing. I have an okay. outro screen too. Now that's exciting. Fingers crossed. Let's see if it works. Bye for now, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>